Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Bobby Blaher, CEO of Spoken Here. So, Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you, Birgit. It's a really an honor and pleasure to be on with you today. Thank you. And it is not often that I get to have a guest who speaks more languages than I do. <laughs> You're certainly, <laughs> English is obviously uh, the base, but uh, you speak German, you know, Russian, you've been exposed to French, Spanish, Portuguese, and I assert you also speak the language of business. So I'm so glad you're here. And I know one of the great successes you've had during you know these times of crisis is that your remote interpreting team helped to get all of Tyson Foods non-English speaking employees health screened in one month at the height of the COVID pandemic and then back to work. So you obviously have some best practices to be able to get that done. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, the average person out there, Joe Q Public thinks, well, you know, somebody speaks a different language, they could translate something for me. And we always try to educate our clients about, you know, the difference between translation, for example, and interpreting. Translation is written oral. They're very different skill sets, uh, very different areas of the brain, a lot of different experience. Sometimes a great translator doesn't make a very good interpreter and vice versa. And we've been providing both of these services for a number of years, but about a year ago around this time, we really decided to grow the remote interpreting side of our business. Um, there's a lot more business being done by, you know, online, uh, remote tools, things of this nature. And then wouldn't you know it, lo and behold, right around March, I guess, February, March, we get hit with the global pandemic. And so while it didn't really change the way we deliver the, the remote interpreting services per se, it did change our uh, customer bases and in our potential customers, their mindset. So now they're kind of attuned to this idea of doing things more remotely, and they're more receptive to doing things uh, such as remote interpreting uh, to help their clients and their patients in the healthcare sector, for example, and so on. Um, it's I kind of liken it to that, you know, you go out and buy that custom car and it's got all of the bells and whistles that you've been wanting for so long. And then you finally get that car delivered and you're so proud and you drive it around town and you realize there's 10 other people driving the same car it's because your brain is tuned to it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're on that frequency. So when the pandemic, you know, erupted, we saw a huge increase in the demand for our remote interpreting services. And what was happening was we had some clients that would, uh, you know, provide occupational therapy or health screening uh, services to their clients. And then you had some of these, these big manufacturers that have a very large and diverse workforce here in the United States, very many people that are what we call limited English proficiency, so LEP employees. In order for them to uh, be cleared to go back to work, they had to go through the process of being uh, screened. Uh, all of this is done remotely because these locations where they work are scattered all over the United States and there's literally thousands of employees. But like I said, they, they have limited English proficiency. They either don't speak English at all, you know, newly arrived immigrants that are working in some of these places. Uh, or their their English is is of a very limited uh, capacity, and so uh, in order for the nurses to uh, triage and uh, to clear these employees medically to return to work, they have to be able to speak their language, and that's where our remote interpreting team comes in. So when this this need for Tyson came about, we we literally had about one day's notice before the deluge, <laughs> uh, the huge spike in, in demand uh, for these services came about. But because the technology that we have to connect our interpreters, these are these are hu live human interpreters. There's nothing automated about this process other than connecting those interpreters with the the people that have the need. So we have that team built out. We've got great training protocols in place, and we were able to absorb that demand and help Tyson get back on their feet. 
Wow, that is quite a task. And then a lot of leaders right now are trying to figure out the best practices in terms of leading people remotely. And you were already doing that before the pandemic hit. So <laughs> how have you succeeded? You're, I mean, your team is all over the world. So what are one or two pointers in terms of leading someone remotely? Excellent question. Um, that, that too is a topic now that's clearly in the top of mind for uh, business owners these days, given what we've been through in the last few months. It's kind of interesting to hear when, you know, all of these companies are scrambling, trying to figure out how to work remotely and, you know, teams are sent home and we've got to get connected and, we, you know, figuring out all the psychological aspects of that. Um, it's a daunting challenge when you're not used to it. So like you said, you'd, we've been doing this really from day one. My team here in the U.S. is scattered over several uh, locations. And of course, all of the partners around the world in different languages and different skill sets, you know, between interpreting, translation, we do a lot of voiceover work, for example. And then we've got some, some back office stuff that we need help with to deliver on uh, our promise to our clients. So all of these people are all around the world. And the only way to work, of course, is remotely. And what we've tried to do, we, we are all about building relationships. It's very important. And, and I always try to make this point. Sure, it's, it's vital to have great relations with clients. I think every business owner understands that. Where we kind of take it a step further, we try to build the same, if not even stronger relationships with our vendors, the people that are providing these services to us so that we can keep our promises to our clients. And mm -hmm. it's, it's super important when you're working with you know translators, for example, in China or in Indonesia or Sweden or Brazil, and we work with translators in all of those countries. These are people that, you know, I personally have a 25, in some cases, 27, 28 year relationship with since I got into the industry in 92. And I made an, a point to get to know them personally, learn about their family. We, ex we exchange pictures, we, we exchange stories, and that builds up a trust, a level of trust that, you know, you can't really build any other way. And that's important because when you're asking somebody in a time zone on the other side of the world to deliver something to you, and then they have to trust that you're going to pay them, that's a very difficult challenge. Mm -hmm. So we've always tried to really go you know, above and beyond to get to know these people and build that solid relationship. We pay them early. We inquire about how things are going in their personal life, things like this. And it, it, it builds on that to where, I mean, I literally could probably go to 80 countries right now. And if I needed a bed to sleep in and a meal to eat to get me through, I could do it because I know people that well in those places. Well, then I have to ask how much of this came natural to you, because I know your original love is baseball and you're used to working in a team type of environment. I think you still play competitively the fast pitch wood bat league baseball. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, just came back from uh, my annual tournament in Phoenix, Arizona last week. We play in the Major League Spring Training facilities out there. So it's like the highlight of my year. But <laughs> baseball ended up not paying the bills. And so I had to figure out something else. So you oh, went with your second love? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, very interesting uh, story and great question. Um, I went to a private school, 7th through 12th grade. And when I started ninth grade, I, I started taking German and I fell in love with it immediately. And so I was always torn. I had this struggle, internal struggle going on all the time between baseball and German. I mean, you don't really think of one when you think of the other. There's not a whole lot of baseball. Although nowadays, I think there are a couple of baseball leagues in Germany, but they weren't really at the time when I was, right. when I was in high school and had a girlfriend in Germany. So if I had known that, uh, it would have probably killed my parents. But um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I love baseball. I still play. It, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't pay the bills. And so my second love, um, and I would say they're probably equal, um, is languages. And, you know, once I got out of college, uh, I wanted to continue doing something with languages and ended up um, getting involved with a business partner that we had a language services company, much like what we do here now, uh, for about 19 years. And then 
in 2011, I branched out and, and rebranded and started spoken here language services. But uh, to, to, to answer your question, um, you know, working with a team. Yeah, I, I'm a team player. I'm a people person. I, I've never met a stranger. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I, I will immediately chat up somebody on the street and talk to them about their life and what's going on and share all kinds of details. And I just, that really fills my cup. So I love to work yeah. with people. Super important to me. Relationships really are, are at the core of my being. And um, you know, having the right well, team, <laughs> having the right team, and being able to to function, I think that's a I think that's a big part of it is just having those yeah. really strong relationships. Yeah, it sounds like you know you've done nothing but successes. I also know that you hit a double at the Minute Maid Park during the Houston <laughs> Hardball League's All Star Game. You actually narrated the German voiceover for the self guided audio tour at Elvis Presley's Graceland, <laughs> and so yes. it just sounds like your life has been so cool and full of successes. So then, as you know, it's coming. I have to ask, what blind spot did you have as a leader? Well, uh, there's been several. I would say one of my biggest blind spots, and I would guess this is true for most entrepreneurs, uh, at least in the beginning when they're starting out, is um, inability or um, unwillingness to delegate. Um, and this kind of this kind of ties into one of my best practices, which is you know, to train and to trust, and then um, give team members ownership of things. And, and by that, I don't necessarily mean ownership in, in a company, like a stake of ownership, although that certainly an option or a possibility. But I mean, like ownership of a project or ownership of a task or maybe a, what we call a rock. You know, we have rocks, uh, company rocks that we we uh, chip away at each quarter. And we give each each team member their own rock and they own it and they're responsible for it. And I found that, um, I mean, sure, we all want to make more money. But what really drives people, I think, is, is ownership and a feeling like the, a sense of belonging and accountability. Um, those are things that weren't really readily apparent to me when I first started out in this journey. Um, How did you one, discover it? Through trial and error. Uh, you know, when, I, when as we were growing Pain. and yeah, as we were growing and I was, I was still trying to have my finger in every pie and trying to do everything. You know, I got to the point where I was like, I can't do it all. I can't do all this. Yeah. And, and this, this actually is a, is a, another blind spot. Or I guess, I guess they're kind of related. So I was always that one that, you know, I would allow perfect to get in the way of really good. And mm -hmm. the fact that maybe 10 people doing 75% of what I could do is still way better than me doing 100%. Um, mm. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast right now that is an entrepreneur is probably shaking their head. Like they understand what I'm talking about. Or they're <laughs> nodding. Yes, that's me. Or I, I've been there. I understand. So I think it really goes back, Birgit, to the idea of getting the right people in the right seats on your bus. You may have mm -hmm. uh, somebody who's very skilled at something, and if you've got them in the wrong seat, it's going to be totally ineffective. The, the, other, the flip side of that coin, too, is you may have you know, the wrong person in the right seat. And as long as you can get the right person in the right seat, and you, it goes back to what I said in the beginning about culture. If they're a great culture mm -hmm. fit, I can train them on what I want them to do, right? And mm -hmm. as long as, as long as they're the right person in that right seat on the bus and they know what they're kind of, when they know what that is, you can step back. Um, I am not, a, I don't like to micromanage and I think it's because I don't like to be micromanaged. Mm -hmm. But if I have, if I have the, the right person in the right seat and they, they know what the task is or what our goals are, um, I think it runs itself and, and it, it really empowers them because the, the team member feels like, hey, I'm not just an employee here. I'm not here just to pick up a paycheck. I'm here because I have value. I'm here because this person trusts me to deliver. And, you know, I may have to ask a question here or there, but, but I take ownership of this and, and, and really that that's very fulfilling. 
you know, when, when you yeah. own something and you, you can complete it, that, that's a super fulfilling um, thing. So Bobby, do, would you say that you started to delegate better because you got better at getting the right people in the right seat in the right bus? Or was it both? Or what would you say in terms of your plans? I, I think it's both. And, and it's also the fact that I, I woke up one day and realized I can't and don't want to do it all. <laughs> and if we're going to scale, mm -hmm. the company can't be Bobby LaHare. You know, it's got to be spoken here. And I mean, that's, that's my goal now is to, you know, to get to the company to a point where it can run without me, not because I'm lazy and I don't want to work. I love to work. I love my job. I love my company. I love mm -hmm. the culture, but it's really all about, you know, growing something bigger than me. And my team members are like family to me. When they come on board, they're as just important to me as my kids, the wife and the, and the two golden retrievers at home. And I really mean that. You know? <laughs> so yeah. I, I want to see them grow along, alongside the company and alongside me. So then as we start to wrap up, I'll put the link to spoken here in the description of the podcast, but anything else that you would like to share with other leaders? I've got three quick tips that I kind of learned the hard way. The first one is to fail fast. You know, I'm, I'm a people person. I hate confrontation, but unfortunately in, in our role as you know CEO and entrepreneur, we have to deal with that sometimes. And sometimes you don't have the right person in the right seat on your bus and you know, it, there's there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, but you need to fail fast. And when it's time to let someone go, get, get it done. So they can grow on, they can go on and grow in a role that might be better suited for them as well. So um, the other would be that, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to try new things and fail. We learn a lot more by failure than we do by success. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you mentioned in the beginning, I believe about, you know, entrepreneurs can feel like they're out on an island. That is so true, right? I mean, there's things I can't even talk to my wife about because she just can't relate. And, uh, but realize that, you know, all those entrepreneurs are in the same boat. Uh, they're all struggling with, you know, trying new things and, and all of that. And then the last thing that kind of ties in with that is, um, and, and when my first partnership kind of failed and I had to kind of start all over and reassess is that, you know, the sun is going to come up in the East again tomorrow, whether I act or whether I remain paralyzed. And all you have to do is just take the next step forward. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So those are my three nuggets of wisdom for what they're worth. <laughs> wow. Well, those are, uh, as you, as you know, entrepreneurs, um, th those are great nuggets for not just entrepreneurs, but probably any leader. Certainly. So thank you so much for being on the show and, and sharing not just your success, but also, you know, some of your lessons learned. It's, not easy a lot of times as a leader to be open about it because leaders tend to think they have to figure it all out by themselves. So exactly. I appreciate being open. So thank you again for being on the show. Vielen, vielen Dank, Birgit. Thank you, Birgit, very much. It was a pleasure.